Hosea 6, 1 to 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. It's lovely to be back here in this beautiful building tonight. Um, and lovely to see some nice new faces. My name is Michaela and I pastor the North C3 North Perth with Pastor Joel. Um, and I'd love to share with you um, some thoughts around uh, how we can come to know God. Um, whether that be for like the first time ever coming to know God or whether that be you've been a Christian for a long time and all of us here that are in that space can come to know God in a deeper way. And I would love that to be our aim for tonight. So thank you, Bella, for reading out this passage. Um, I'm going to kind of cover it a little bit more further on. Um, but this is a passage that God has been um, placing on my heart a lot lately uh, in uh, my time of prayer with him. Um, and yeah, I really do believe that there is something of God's compassion, his steadfast love that he wants to impart in us today. That there is this God who has created this beautiful world that we live in. And he says in his word that he abounds in love towards us. And I think that's a pretty good thing to explore. I think that's a pretty good thing to continually pursue after, is what is this love that God is talking about. And so that's what I want to share with you tonight. The past few weeks, we've been looking at how we can come to know God, to truly know his character, and how that impacts our view of him and of others. Last fortnight, Joel shared out of the passage in Exodus 34, where God is describing himself to the people through Moses after they had just broken the covenant uh, with God. They'd just broken their, their trust with God in, in a way. God says to his people through Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will be, sorry, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations? As Joel shared last fortnight, we see many references to this very statement where God is describing who he is and what his character is to the people of God, despite how they have just treated him. 
And this passage is referenced so many times through the Bible. If you were like me this week to do a proper Bible study of when this is referenced, you'd be gobsmacked how many times uh, the people of God reference this um, very passage. A few of them in Psalm 145, just as we've read um, this evening a little bit earlier. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show Show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And Ephesians 2 4 to 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so, as we've been looking at already, um, Our picture of who God is is so important to our connection with Him. It's probably one of the most important things, that our current view of Him impacts the way we worship Him. Would you not agree? Our current view of His character changes how receptive we are towards Him or how closed off we are towards Him. How we trust His character to be and how we, as Hosea says, press on to know God. Our picture of a person just somebody in our lives, our view of another person, maybe sitting next to us, deeply impacts our connection or lack of connection with them. Would you agree? The way we view people without maybe even knowing them can impact the way uh, we connect with people. And even the people that we know the dearest, closest to us, and they could be sitting next to you. They could be somebody who you're very close with, who you could share anything with. Even in those relationships, sometimes there can be things that wedge between us, that cause us to hold back, withhold parts of ourselves from them. I know in my life, many times I've found myself in situations like this. One of them, which I think of often because she lives next door to me, is my dear, lovely neighbour, Jenny. Uh, She's a 90-year-old, just recently turned 90, French lady, who lives next door to me. Um, And if you really know her, you know her to be the most sweetest, most generous, most loving, most kind, most thoughtful neighbour. But if you didn't know her from a bar of soap, you could get off the wrong way with her. (laughs) You could meet her in the street for the first time and be like, what is wrong with that lady? She's French. She's got a bit more of a blunt way of speaking to you. She sometimes shares her mind without you really thinking it's appropriate. Um, But deep down, when you get to know her, you get to know her generous nature. You get to know how thoughtful she is with what she's been given. Um, You get to know her story. You get to know who she is and how she's become the person that she is. And I thank God for Jenny in my life. I thank God for somebody who is a woman of God who gets on her knees every morning and prays before she has breakfast and thinks of Joel and I as we minister in church and prays for us continually. But I wouldn't have got to know this beautiful side of Jenny without maybe pushing past a bit of that blunt French nature (laughs) or pushing past a bit of that unfiltered conversation that might have offended me the first time I met her. Um, But in, in all, she's a beautiful, beautiful person and I'm very grateful for her in my life. And when I think about also, um, you know, my relationship with Joel, I think about the early days of dating when I lived in Rockingham and he lived in Marangaroo and he used to drive me graciously home every time we hung out because I hadn't had my license yet. But I think to moments when maybe there was something that 
um, went wrong in the day and we were a bit, you know, a bit antsy towards each other. Anybody else been in that situation before? You love someone dearly. Everybody else is perfect here. Um, you love somebody with Joel. <laughs> you love somebody dearly, but things sometimes happen in your relationship, in your friendship, in your family, where someone irks you the wrong way or you do something to them and you're stubborn and you won't, you know, let go of it. Um, and in my early days of dating Joel, I um, had a tendency to shut down. Whenever we had an argument or just something that wasn't, you know, wasn't peachy and, and fun, um, I had a tendency to shut down. And my tendency in those early days when we were driving home is we'd always, you know, have to sort it out. That was 45 minutes of driving to do before we got home. Um, and I would often find myself literally shifting my body towards the window and just, you know, just leaning on the door um, and ignoring him whilst we're trying to deal with whatever it was that we were um, arguing about. Um, and I think of that in our nature towards God. Thankfully, we did deal with things. We did work through things. We're better at communication now, which is fantastic after 12 years of marriage. It's great. Um, but even the people that we love the dearest, even the people that we are closest to and share most of our lives with, we can tend to withdraw ourselves from because we are blocked by some view of their love for us or our love for them. And so in the same way, I think that we can have the completely wrong view of somebody or a warped view of somebody or a misjudged view of somebody when we carry around these disagreements, these disappointments or just a bit of stubbornness that we can carry around. We can also approach God like this, whether we realise it or not. Whether it's because we've grown up around church and we've settled into our faith with our existing views of who God might be, or whether our current experiences have blocked us, have put a wedge between us experiencing the love of God. Or maybe we've never ever comprehended his love before. And it takes us quite a, a big you know, moment for us to come to understand that. We can just as much find ourselves surprised by the facets of God's character that are hidden to us or sometimes forgotten. I've been thinking about a quote from A.W. Tozer a lot the last few weeks, and he says, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Our entire worldview is determined by how we understand God. It's just, you know, it's just a small little detail. <laughs> our entire worldview what comes to mind when we sit down maybe to pray or we refuse to sit down and pray? What comes to mind when we walk into a church building or when we refuse to walk into a church building? What comes to mind when somebody mentions the word God or mentions the word church or mentions Jesus? Or what doesn't come to mind? These are things that we should dwell upon. These are things that we should explore. In the same way we see people throughout the Bible continuing to reference back to this passage in Exodus where God describes his very character to them. So we should continue to look back to reference who God says he is to us because we are a forgetful people. I am a forgetful person. There is many times in my life where I've forgotten the nature of God 
where I've forgotten the depths of His love for me, where I've forgotten what length He went through to reconcile with me, His child. To truly know His mercy and to be immersed in this steadfast love that He talks about, it requires us to come to His mind. It requires Him to come to our mind. Because what we settle to know about God impacts our worship, impacts our expectations of God, impacts our faith in the possibility of what Jesus can restore in our lives and in the lives of others around us, in the church, in the community. The compassion, the love, the steadfast love of God has been a compelling character trait for me since I was about 16. This very compassion, heartfelt mercy, His grace, something that I, before that point, I didn't really comprehend. I didn't really see the depth of. I didn't really understand the weight of what that meant. When I was 16, and some of you may have known me, well, my sister's here tonight, so that's accurate. When I was 16, there was a time in my life where I was very, very um, introverted with my thoughts. I was very... um, angry at certain things in life. I was quite judgmental, um, not necessarily verbally, but internally around the world and around the church and um, yeah, who the people of God were or who this person says they were. And I was kind of stuck in this angsty 16-year-old state that I was going to church with my parents and I was um, surrounded by the Word of God. I was hearing the Bible talked about frequently, but this very word of compassion, this very nature of God's steadfast love wasn't something that I had received myself. So despite um, this state that I was in, there was this one moment um, when I felt compelled and nothing in me could ever agree that that was me doing that myself. But I felt compelled to worship God by myself in a room with nobody else around. And I was probably there for about an hour. I just kept wanting to stay there because there was something that was pulling me towards God's love. And to this day, I can't really explain it. I get emotional every time I think about it because that wasn't me. That wasn't anything about me trying to reach out to him there was something of his character that was reaching out to me. And it wasn't in an instant necessarily, but from that very moment, from that very day, which I still don't fully understand what happened, but yeah, there was a sense of God's mercy and his compassion and his deep love for people, not just me, that came alive on the inside of me. That once where I was very judgmental towards people, very angry towards certain people. I just flipped in a moment. And I, would, I walked out of that space with a new perspective of other people. That just as God had met me in that moment and healed things in me in that moment, there was things that other people were going through that I had no idea about. And God provided for me a, a sense of mercy and compassion for those kinds of people too. And so despite having this beautiful transformative moment as a 16 year old. I'm not going to lie, I haven't walked around the earth just full of compassion and mercy for everybody that I meet always. Um, I'm still a human being. Uh, But despite this being one of the most transformative times of my faith, where I saw God's love radically shift my perception of myself and Him, it's not the end of that knowledge. 
It's not the end of his mercy that I have experienced. There is so much more to him that I have experienced over the years when it's to do with his character and his love. The Psalms say God is abounding in steadfast love, abounding. I just think of like an animal bounding over. (laughs) God is bounding. He's abounding in his steadfast love. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as Psalm 103 says. And I know this to be true because the same mercy, the same compassion that I experienced as a 16-year-old is the same steadfast love in a deeper way that unraveled me through my 20s. When I went through anxious times, stressful episodes, when I had years of depression in my 20s, through challenging health diagnoses that I had through my, through my late 20s, disappointments and griefs when people let me down, when I had every right to be angry at people, and yet there was a deeper sense of mercy and grace that God gave to me because I pursued him for it. See, all of these challenges and moments of human suffering that we go through have only eventually made way for his compassion and grace to just bore deeper and deeper inside of me and deeper and deeper inside of us. God is abounding in steadfast love. I don't know if I need to say that more tonight. Abounding. The Hebrew word for compassion is pretty, it's pretty amazing. When I um, had a look at the Hebrew word for compassion this week, or it was probably last week, maybe. I've just been sitting with it for a couple of weeks. It's pretty unreal. The Hebrew word for compassion is rachum, which I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. I tried to remember raccoon, but that's how I remember it in case you want to try. <laughs> rachum. Um, and when used as a noun, uh, it's rachimim. And both words are related to the Hebrew word rechim, which means womb. And for any mothers out there, a little holler at you. It means womb. So it means the very place where we nurture life, where we as women have, can have the opportunity to hold within us a child and bring life through us in this mysterious, unreal way that God has created us to. It blows my mind that this very compassion that God has for us, the Hebrews used this word to explain. That there is a place of nurture, there is a place of growth, there is a place of unmerited gift that mothers give to a child when they raise them, when they not just give birth to them, but when they care for them and help them grow and teach them and are kind to them. And there is this feeling internally when we look and we look at our child when they're in pain or they're suffering or they're going through something. That's undes- you can't describe it. And so there is a little um, video that teaches this through the Bible Project, um, what this word compassion means. So I'm just going to flick to that if you're trying um, to describe what God is like it could be difficult or daunting but when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God they consistently described God's character in this way compassionate and gracious slow to anger overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness the very first word used in this description of God is compassionate or in Hebrew rachum 
This word also appears as a noun, rachamim, or compassion. And what's fascinating is that both of these words are related to the Hebrew word for womb, rechem. So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is centered on a person's core, and the word invites us to imagine a mother's tender feelings for her vulnerable infant. So rahum is a word that conveys intense emotion. Sometimes it's even translated as deeply moved, like in the story of King Solomon who meets two women who've just given birth. One of their babies sadly dies, but then both women claim that the baby still living is theirs. As a test, Solomon says to cut the baby in two and give each mother a half. And the baby's real mother is deeply moved. She would rather the other woman take her baby than see her child die. And it's her compassion that reveals that she's the true mother. But rahum isn't just an emotional word. It also involves action. And surprisingly, the word is used most often to describe God's actions motivated by his emotions. Like when the Israelites are suffering and oppressed in Egypt, God hears their cries and is compelled by his compassion, his rachamim, to rescue them. Then, as the Israelites travel through the dangerous wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty. And God is rachum, caring for them as his own child. He provides everything they need, food, water, and clothing as he personally guides them. So it's no surprise that when Yahweh reveals his character to the Israelites in the wilderness, he begins by saying he's compassionate. But despite Yahweh's continual rachamim, the Israelites turn away from him time and again. They reject Yahweh's compassion and instead give their allegiance to other gods. And rather than showing compassion to each other, they do violence and their rebellion results in exile and they're scattered among the nations. And it's in this dark moment in Israel's story that we come to the book of Isaiah, where Yahweh compares himself to a mother full of rachamim toward her baby. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child or have no compassion or rachamim on the child of her womb? Even if she forgets, I will not forget you. God is full of motherly compassion and he will rescue his people. And as you read further in Isaiah, you realize that God is going to do this by entering into the suffering of humanity. And this points forward to a time when Jesus comes on the scene. He is Yahweh's deep compassion become human. In Greek, the word compassion is oiktirmas. And as Jesus embraces the sick and cares for the outcast, he is deeply moved by human suffering. Jesus compares himself to a mother hen using her wings to shield her chicks from danger as he gathers people into his embrace. And in the ultimate expression of oiktirmas, Jesus is moved by compassion to enter into humanity's suffering, into death itself, to rescue and bring us near to God. And it's this same life of compassion that Jesus calls his followers to imitate, allowing ourselves to be moved by the pain of others, to embrace the hurting, and to participate in relieving suffering in the world. In this way, we too can embody the compassion of Yahweh, or in Jesus' words, be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Now you can see how fitting it is that compassionate is the first word God uses to describe himself. 
So when we're in pain or see others suffering, we can be certain that God is deeply moved to respond and that he's there to meet us with his deep compassion. Pretty cool, hey? Ah, God is deeply moved by his people. It's a beautiful thing to think about, to ponder, to reflect on. And maybe this stood out to me a bit more because I have two children, but I think that realisation that God has compassion and it's centred to his very core, his very being, and he's struck that in us, he's put that in us as we receive it from him. It's through God's compassion that he would answer the Israelites' cry and rescue them, even though they often failed to be faithful and obedient. And just like the Israelites, it's that same compassion that God extends to us, despite how we live, despite how we act, that if we would humble ourselves, if we would bring ourselves back to him and take that invitation, Take that rahum, that he cares for his people, that he provides for our needs, that he sent Jesus for us, who was in his very nature, rahum. That in this compassion, Jesus was compelled to enter earth, to trade our sins for his righteousness and save us from death. And in the same way, he calls us as his followers to be compassionate, just as our Father is compassionate. When we choose to show mercy to others, we become like this word is, a womb in a sense, a place where they can be held and loved, a place where they can grow and be nurtured. A question I'm asking myself frequently is, has my life, has my time My home, my heart invited others to grow a little while, to germinate into the solid confines of a listening ear, to rest in the arms of compassion, to grow stronger with each other through a cup of coffee. (laughs) Am I a haven for others, a refuge where they might experience new life and rebirth? I want to be a place of mercy for others. And I think God calls us as his church to provide that as a place for others. Though I do think that just like the people of God, we continually need to be reminded of God's great compassion and mercy for us in order to sustain that kind of life, in order to sustain that kind of compassion for others. It's a miracle that he saw us, that he sees us, that he takes notice of us that he forgives us, he reconciles us, he redeems us, and that he gives us this future vision, this hope to cling on to. In Titus 3, verses 3 to 8, in the New Testament, we read, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us, not because of our works, 
done, sorry, by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I came to tell you tonight, to remind you tonight maybe, that God is perpetually turned toward us, abounding in great, steadfast, compassionate love for each of us. And as we see written in Hosea 6, that Bella shared earlier in the words written in the Old Testament, but also recited by Jesus himself to the people of God. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. What a beautiful thing to, to dwell on. So church, I'm believing that we can receive his love continually. It's not something that we just once know about and cling on to for dear life. This steadfast love, this abounding love that God talks about is something we can experience, something we can step into, something we can acknowledge and live out of every single day of our lives. That church, we can hope again in God's great compassion for us. That despite we may be hurting, despite we may be suffering, maybe we are going through a challenge in our life that has caused us to doubt His goodness. Maybe we have been through something because somebody has treated us a certain way and we have doubted His goodness for us. Or maybe we've just got bored with God. Maybe we have just lost sight of the goodness of His mercy and His grace. Come, Come, let us call out to the Lord that we would learn to live in His image and develop this steadfast love for Him and for others. I believe God is calling His church back to a steadfast love for Him, to renew this covenantal love that we may have started but have waned. I believe God wants to restore us out of disappointment God wants to heal damaged hearts where people have found themselves less motivated in their pursuit of God, disappointed in others or ourselves, left with a broken spirit. God wants to revive us with this steadfast love. God wants to bring strength back to our character when we fail. He wants to provide a love that would cause us to turn from other things and hunger after him. And Christ is well enough to get us back on our feet. He has done all that is required for us to receive this kind of love. That it is not in our pleading alone that gets us access to who God is. It is not in us ticking every box and attending every church meeting and praying 300 times a day. Christ is well 
Christ is enough. When we call upon Christ, when we call upon Jesus, when we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, when we repent and we turn away from all the things we've been chasing and get before Him, God is steadfast. He is loyal. He is there at the becking call. I know God's unfailing love. His steadfast mercy and grace is sufficient. And so I wanted to encourage us in that tonight as we come to a time of communion, as we come to a time of thanking God, of remembering Christ in all that he has done for us. Just like a mother nurtures her child, so God wants to nurture us through our suffering, through our hardships, through a bad week, through highs and through lows. I know him to be faithful and I know him to restore us to his knowledge of who he says he is. So let me pray before we come to the front. Lord, we just, we just honour you, Father. We praise your name, Lord. We thank you for all that we have access to in you because of all that Christ has done for us, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would be with each person that has walked in this room that is distant from you, God. That as they choose to call out to you, as they choose to trust in you, Jesus, God, I thank you that you would honour that cry, Lord. You would honour that pledge, that request, Lord God. Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that your love, your compassion, your mercy, your grace would be extended to each of us that call out to you, Lord. That we would come to know you, Father, to know your unending love, Lord, to know your great mercy for us, Father, to sustain us, to renew us, to restore us, to heal us, Lord. So as we come to your table tonight, Father, we ask that you would do the work in us that we are unable to, Father. We honour you, Lord, for you are a good, good Father. In Jesus' name, amen.